I spent my college days throwing perfect passes and trash-talking BYU. And I spent my college career smashing Utah Utes' faces into the mud. I'm Jason Buck. And I'm Scott Mitchell. After our careers in the NFL, we still talk trash. But mostly to each other on our podcast, Rivals. We talk all things football, college, and NFL. A little bit about life and growing up rivals. Download it each week wherever you get your podcasts or on the KSL Sports app. Go Cougs! And go Utes! Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, Talk to us at Cordell and Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. This is Innovation and Leadership, where we interview Navy SEALs, venture capitalists, pro athletes, best-selling authors, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of high achievers as we can get to come on the show. Today's episode is going to be from our mini-series that we created with Corporate Alliance, asking top CEOs and executives and entrepreneurs who have had very large exits specifically about their thoughts on leadership and people. Also, I want to talk to you about one of our show's sponsors. I met these guys back on episode six. CEO Zach Smith was telling me all about starting a skateboard company and how much he hated doing the bookkeeping uh, for a skateboard shop and how he really uh, got led to start this business, Bookly, that's a hybrid combining bookkeeping software and human services. And I'll tell you why I let him become a sponsor. It's because I use their service now. I don't love paying 50 bucks an hour for bookkeepers to do stuff that I know software could do way, way cheaper, but uh, I don't love bookkeeping at all. So I want a real live human who knows what they're talking about to help me with the stuff I don't understand. Uh, Probably the straw that broke the camel's back for me, though, the thing that put me over the top was that they could do my taxes and payroll also. Um, So totally suggest checking them out. Go to their website, bookly.co, and check out their flat rates. I've been super happy with them. So now on to today's episode. Carla, thanks for making time. Thank you. This will be fun. So um, you've you built and exited a couple of businesses with some pretty good numbers, twenty times in customer or twenty times in investor dollars. Right. Uh, let's hear a little bit about a uh, little bit about your career background here. Okay. Business background. Well, I actually started in corporate America, so I went the route I did business school came out and started managing restaurants because that was my passion. So I managed restaurants, Sea Galley restaurants for about seven years. Then I went to Mrs. Fields Cookies for a couple years. Oh, excuse me, Godfather's People Pizza for a couple years, Mrs. Fields Cookie for a couple years. Then Morris Airlines for a couple of years before they sold. And that's when I started my own company, Occurrence Teleservices, back in 1994. And then when did you sell Currents? I sold Currents in 2007. Okay. And in the in the meantime, I had started, I, we, my husband and I had started Idle Shape. We were doing a fitness, trying to help people lose weight, mostly his dad. His dad was 350 pounds. We were trying to help him. And so we, um, we started it, and then we realized we were going to, um, su- our, uh, our call center business was suffering, so we kind of shelved it for a few years. After we retired, because we were going to retire after we sold Occurrence in 2007, realized that wasn't going to work out. Then we decided to, um, David's son came to us, said, let's do this online. 
And that's when we caught this idea of online um, fitness company. And that's when we started Ideal Shape Online. I love it. So, so um, I think it's a really fun story to hear about how Occurrence came about. Can you can you tell us a little bit of that? Sure. Uh, I, okay. So I was working for Morris Air and we had half hour holds. And that was back in the day when we were paying like 25 cents a minute for someone to sit on an 800 line. So doesn't take a lot of math to figure out this. We weren't making money on $39 flights if people sat on hold for a half hour. And so I was looking for a so solution. I was the VP of operations and the reservation center reported to me. And I went to an AT&T conference where it uh, had a session called bringing the work to the worker. And I just caught this vision of, oh my gosh, we could have airline agents working from home. And so I brought it back to Na David Neeleman, and he wasn't super excited about that. Is this like JetBlue? Yeah, that's David the David okay. Neeleman. So back back in the day, before you know, you were probably even born. <laughs> he was he was with Morris Air, and he helped start that charter company and then turn it into an airline. But when we sold the Morris Air, he had a five year non compete, and after that, he came out back with JetBlue. But anyway, so we decided to try home agents I finally convinced him to give it a test and so we took 20 of our best agents and that wanted to work from home and we put them home and their productivity went up 15 percent and the rest is kind of history 180 agents later uh southwest airlines came in and bought us and so I well i want to talk about the family barbecue though oh <laughs> that's right so so initially david wasn't really excited about the idea of home agents he said there's no way we'll you know we can't manage them and i said i can manage them i know everything they're doing i know every every stat i can manage them remote i promise you i can and he he didn't really like the idea so he went to a family barbecue and his sister-in-law uh, worked for us, but she only worked like 15 hours a week. And we actually needed agents to work more hours. And so she went up, to, he went up to her and he said, if you could work from home, would you work more? She goes, absolutely. He goes like, how much more? And she goes, I'd work full time. And so he came back to the office that next week and he said, I've got this idea. We're going to do home agents. So we laughed about it. Everybody knew what, but it didn't matter. It was exciting because we were going to get to get to do home agents. And so when Southwest Airlines bought Morris Air, their union contracts wouldn't allow the agents to work remote or part-time, and most of these agents were part-time. So I just thought the the idea is too good. I just have to. It, it, and it was one of those things, a lot of people ask you how an idea comes um, and, and if they should start a business, how do they know they should start a business? And one thing I tell people is, what is it that you think about when you don't have to think about anything? Because that's what happened with this idea. Like, I I got this great severance package, two-year severance, plus my stock was converted into Southwest Airlines stock immediately, and I really didn't even have to work for a few years. I was And I was a single mom, so that, that idea kind of appealed to me, like, this will be great. I'm going to take some time off. But this idea of starting a telemarketing company with home agents just wouldn't leave me alone. I find myself thinking about it all the time. I was still working for Southwest Airlines. I had a one-year contract with them, and I didn't have much to do because all the HR and, and um, supervision of the reservation agents, all that was taken to Texas. So I would just start playing with this idea of starting my own company with Telmar, and then I'd go, no, 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some time off. And But it was one of those things where there was no way 
I mean, I knew I had to start this business. It was one of those things where um, I just wanted to employ agents to work from home, mostly women. We had men working for us too, but there was this drive that I had to help women be able to support their families because we had lots of women that were making sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year um, taking f- inbound phone calls at home, and so. Even though I didn't get to work from home, I did help thousands of people work from home. So that's that was why Ocurrence got started. Well, you know, the show is called Leadership and People. Mm-hmm. Why don't you talk about how many staff you started with and what it grew to by the time you sold it? Okay. So we started with 10 agents. And uh, initially, they couldn't work from home because, of course, the technology to make that happen was was difficult to set up and training and everything. So they sat in a room around a conference table and a phone would ring and they'd run over and get it. And that's how we, you know, in 1994, that's how we, we would pop a script because it wasn't really a script. It was that phone number was that client's phone. (laughs) Later on, we had the technology that actually popped a script and they could go home and, and sell the product from home. When we sold in 2007, we had um, over 600 agents working for us. That's exciting. So, Specifically with a distributed workforce like that, I mean, a lot of people recognize how much of America is becoming freelancers and this right. kind of stuff. And um, what kind of advice do you have for leaders about leading remote staff above just managing them? Right. Okay. So we set it up. This is how we set it up. First of all, there's got to be a way. You've got to have a way to manage, like to rate their performance. You have to know if they actually are working. I mean, there there is that qualifier in our situation it was easy because they had to log into the phone to take the phone calls and that's how they got paid once they logged in our clock the clock started ticking that we paid them we paid them an hourly rate but what what we really did is we commissioned them off their sales so they made nine ten bucks an hour back then which isn't bad but that isn't where they made their money they made their money when they sold a product and so when everybody, when a client would come in, I'd say, okay, let's figure out what kind of commission program we can do for them. And that wasn't, that wasn't common in the call center business. They just wanted to pay a per minute fee, flat rate. And I'm like, no, the reason you want to do this commission program is you're going to get more sales. And I said, I'll, I'll go against any call center out there and I will show you, we'll do a head to head test and I will show you with a commission how I will make you more money. You'll pay more but I will make you more money. And I did, we never lost, we never lost any of those. So I set it up so they could work from home. They did what they came in, they did their training, learned the system. Then we had a minimum requirement that you had to maintain to stay at home. So the home working from home was the big draw, but the commission program obviously was what motivated them to increase their sales and make more money. But they all knew that, if they didn't keep their stats up, they'd have to come back and work on site. They didn't want to work on site. So it was easy to motivate them. But we also brought them in every two weeks and we did trainings and we motivated them and kept them excited. I have a, a cute story. Um, my son knows somebody who was a was an agent for us, worked for us several years when we uh, started the business and she was there when we sold. And she was telling my son about a year later, she said, you know, it's interesting. I always thought my, when people ask me, you know, how do you, do you love your job? She said, I love my job. I get to work from home. She said, I always thought working from home was why I loved my job. 
And she said, but after Carla sold, she goes, I still got to work from home, but I don't love my job anymore. So the new owners came in. They took away a lot of the commission program. I mean, I showed them how successful it was. And they're like, oh, we can put those dollars on the bottom line. No, you can't. Because those dollars don't come into you from the client unless they get the sales. So it they were they were stupid. They were really not a great company. I mean, investment company to realize that what had made us successful. So they did that. They did other things that she said, you know what? The job isn't that satisfying anymore, and I still get to work from home. So it showed us something. It's a lot more than just working from home or whatever it is you've set up. It's, it is really about leadership and people and how you manage people and motivate them and inspire them and give them autonomy but have some rules around it and things like that. So it goes, it goes way beyond that, and that was that that was a telling point for sure. And we were talking about investors. Did you take investors early on in that business? Or? Yeah. That, yeah. So that's another fun story because I just thought, you know, I, my banker introduced me to Todd Stevens with Wasatch Venture Fund think, saying, you'll probably need some venture capital. And I said, oh no, I got all this money from the bank and I've got my own money I'm putting into this. Well then, Southwest Airlines decided not to sell me the equipment for 10 cents on the dollar because we had all this equipment they weren't going to use. So I offered to buy it and they were going to sell it to me. So all of a sudden now I had to go out and pay full price because it wasn't on the used market. It was all state of the art and it was all brand new. It was new technology. Nobody was doing home agents in 1994. And so all of a sudden my cost of startup went way up. So I thought, well, maybe I will talk to these venture capital guys. So I didn't even know what venture capital people were. I mean, I was like, okay, I need money. They've got money. Okay, so I meet with them, and I pitch them, you know, just like I did the bankers, you know, what a great idea I have. And so Todd says, you know, I want you to go meet Tim Draper. He's in um, Silicon Valley. And I saw flight benefits with Southwest Airlines, so I grabbed the plane. I went down. I didn't even know who Tim Draper was, you know, like, the godfather of the venture capital world, right? And I'm just like, I go in his office. I'm like all, hey, I got a great idea. This is the business I'm going to do. I mean, it's a good thing I didn't know what I didn't know because I would have been too nervous to pitch any of these guys. And I wouldn't have thought, I would have thought there's no way. But I just thought this is what you do. So they decided to invest <clears throat> in me, in my business, and they gave me a number and I thought, well, I don't want to give up that much of my company for that amount of money. So I'm like, no, you know what? You want in? This is the deal. <laughs> so they took it. And I was like, okay, from start to finish, I had the money in 30 days. And I just thought that's how it was done. Later, I learned, there was, I was like, oh, just go to these venture capital guys. They'll give you money. And people are like, uh, no, they won't. Like we've pitched and pitched and pitched. And I'm like, what do you mean? I didn't even. So that's how I knew I was supposed to start this business. A lot of things fell into line. And so, and Todd Stevens not only became my investor, but he came up, became a great partner. He was there to kind of guide me in some things that I didn't know or, you know, introduce me to people when I needed introductions and things like that. So, he was a great partner too. Well, let's talk about that. You know, that business is more than just having a good idea and working hard. Yes. Talk about, talk about the value of meeting the right people. Oh yes. Okay. So, 
Um, I think it starts with, you know, looking for people that you want to emulate, first of all. So I go and I look at, I had a couple of really great bosses in the corporate world. Um, Debbie Fields was a really good one. We had, uh, I had um, John Sanchez was an excellent district manager. I learned a ton from him of how to treat people. And Like what's an example? Okay, so um, the, in Seagalley, uh, we expanded really fast. And so I got to be a district manager. So I became a peer to John. And then the company got in some financial trouble, so they decided to scale down. And so they demoted me. And they wanted to keep me. They wanted me to still run a restaurant. But I was like, there is no way I'm going to do that. I've already been a district manager. And John took me in and said, listen, you still have a lot to learn. It's a great company. I'll continue to mentor you and teach you. And then you'll go get a, an even better job. And so he just showed me how um, how making pe helping people to understand what their worth is, how their talents can be um, developed and expanded, and that that's what people want to do. Ultimately, people really do want to do a good job, and they want to do the best they can, and most of the time they just don't even know how to do that. So he was really good at that. And then um, Paul Baird, who was with Godfather's Pizza, uh, he helped me see that you know, getting the number is you know, getting the numbers is how you get promoted. And as long as you do it, you know, like I said, with really great people and do it ethically and all of that. But he taught me how to get the numbers. Like Godfather's Pizza was really focused on year over year and a lot of their other things. So, like, like what's an example there on how to get the numbers? Well, the the whole thing there is he would say. Yeah, you can cut costs, cut costs, he says, but I figure out how to increase sales. So he would show us how to um, take a store and turn it around by improving the customer service to such a degree that the revenue would ultimately go up. And then, you know, so because too many people cut costs and, yeah, they put temporary money on the bottom line but they don't put long-term money on the bottom line so he would show us how to increase our revenue and how to um, improve customer service uh, cleanliness you know the basics of restaurants but you know he was just he was just amazing at it so he was really really good but yeah so it's it's partnerships and meeting people and mentors and people that take an interest in you I mean there's it's it's just people. I mean, it really is. I, I've often said pretty much I can run almost any business if I have great people. Um, yeah, I need to learn something about the, like when I took over the airline, when I became an, in the airline business, I'd always done food, but I didn't have to learn how to fly a plane, you know, even though for a while there I oversaw the pilots. Um, but I had to still just manage people and and get people to perform and so pretty much any business if you have really great team you can be successful in most any business also i want to give a shout out to one of our sponsors skillshare they're doing a promo for us for everybody listening to the show it's skillshare.com slash leader 
where they're going to let anybody get two months of access to their 18,000 classes for just 99 cents uh, at that code skillshare.com slash leader. And I think for me, one of the reasons that I like Skillshare and, and probably like the classes that are most attractive to me are the really high credibility ones. Like you can learn email marketing from MailChimp. I mean, these are the guys that make $500 million a year sending email out for their customers. They've got the data. They've, they're legitimate experts on the subject. And as I'm getting advice, I know that I should be building my list better than I am. That's the kind of people that I want to get my advice from, and, and you can get it right there on those classes. One last time, uh, if you want that 99 cents for the two months, it's skillshare.com slash leader. Well, and let's talk about this idea of, of mentors and the right, you know, making the right connections in the business community, you know, post-occurrence, yes. <laughs> right? Yes. You're doing it all over again at yes. Ideal Shape. Tell exactly. us what it was like that time comparatively. Oh, it was completely different because when we started Occurrence, there was no social media. Um, we, you know, email had just come into being and, you know, all of these things and the internet had helped us become uh, an even better call center, but there was no social media. And all of a sudden, our son's saying, okay, we've got to learn social media so we can figure out how to, you know, market this business. I'm like, what? That's for kids, you know? And it's like, no. And so I had to learn Facebook and Instagram and all these social media flat platforms I'd never even learned. So I went to a couple of groups that um, in the area, I'm trying to think of the names of them now, WTC, we, well, Women Technology Council. So networking with uh, Sid Tetro and that group was really great. And then there was another group, something business, and they were the ones who really introduced me to social media. And so we brought up a Facebook page and just started experimenting with lots of things. And truly, our business tripled in a very short amount of time, um, mostly because of social media. That's so. exciting. Well, um, we're closing in a little bit on the end of part one of the episode. Okay. Um, when you think about... Um, when you think about some of the best advice you ever received or advice you could go back and give an earlier version of yourself. Oh, what, yeah. What would that be? Okay. So I would think, I would think I would say to myself to not sweat the small stuff and not overreact. Um, I am <clears throat> focused and driven. And so when things would go wrong, uh, sometimes I would overreact. Reacting is fine because I think people need to see around you, this is important, this is serious, this is, you know, but overreacting is actually counterproductive. And I think if I was gonna, going to tell myself anything, it would be don't overreact because it doesn't help anything. I'll give you a really good example. In, 2000, when, when, in 1999, when we were facing Y2K, and I had a database system that was not going to make it into 2000. Our phone switch, we were upgrading, and it was gonna, going to make it, but our da database wasn't going to. So we were creating a new um, ordering system and all of this, and we didn't get to test it because T1 lines didn't get in until December 15th, so we tested it. It was during our slow season because it was Christmas time. Worked fine, and then the the 3rd of January comes along, our busiest time of year. We put 70, 80 agents on at one time for an infomercial. 
and it completely goes down. I mean, it can't even save an order. It takes 10 minutes to save an order because it just the everything, the processing of it was just way too cumbersome. We did not know this. <coughs> and so all of a sudden, I mean, we're in crisis because we, we're now back to taking orders on paper and then paying somebody in the middle of the night to put them in the system and then getting them to our clients like a day late, which my clients were great and they were understanding to a point. And my IT guy was doing everything he could think of. And I was overreacting. I mean, I was getting really upset. We're going to lose the company. You guys are going to put me out of business. We got to solve this and we got to fix it. And I remember one day thinking, okay, you're not helping this situation. You know, you're putting your people into a panic and you're not helping the situation. I remember distinctly one day getting in the shower and going, you know, we need ideas and those ideas aren't gonna, going to come with everybody so under pressure. And I had this idea just pop in my head. Why don't you get back to 1999? You know your system worked in 1999. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's a great idea. So I went to my IT guy and I said, we're going back to 1999. He goes, that's not possible. I go, the computer doesn't know, okay? Change the date to January. At that point, it was January 13th. So we did 13 days in January, just about killed us. January 13th, 1999, instead of 2000. And I said, and at the end of the day, we'll just do a data search. We'll change all the dates to 2000, send them off to our clients. And so that's what we did. And everybody got, you know, into it. And we then had to develop a whole new system. And we didn't even celebrate 2000, New Year's 2000, till like November 15th. It took that long. We were in 1999 that whole year to solve that problem. But that's what I'd tell myself is don't sweat the small stuff and don't overreact. It doesn't help anything. It's even if it's serious. You overreacting doesn't help. You've got to help people stay calm, and that's how they come up with solutions. I love it. Okay, tune back in for our next episode. We're going to get some more wisdom from Carla. Thanks, everybody. Well, that's it for the episode. One other thing I wanted to tell you about, if you'll remember the guys from Convoy uh, in episodes back, Ken Free and Trent Mano, I went on one of their CEO trips to New York, and I met a guy named Brent Thompson, very successful entrepreneur. He was former CEO of Jive Communications, big uh, company now, I think three or $400 million. Anyways, he, uh, he started a new company called blipbillboards.com. I'm super stoked they're a sponsor now. But I, I remember a year and some ago when I met him, I thought it was genius. Instead of having to buy six months or a year's worth of billboard uh, for thousands of dollars, you can buy eight seconds at a time for like 10 or 20 cents. You pick what billboard you want it on, what time of day you want it to run. And it just puts so much power in the hands of, of marketers and CEOs who want to try something and see if it works. You can buy as many or as few as you want, change it as many times as you want. Uh, I think now our podcast is being advertised on billboards in like 18 different states because we have these guys as sponsors. We're pretty excited about it. Hope you check out blipbillboards.com. Thanks.
Now is the time to find your color, your paint, and everything to get started during red, white, and blue savings at the Home Depot. Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details.